Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited today to welcome our guest, Robert Mixon. Robert is the senior executive leader and founding partner of Level 5 Associates. Robert has 35 years of leadership experience building teams and growing what he considers to be Level 5 leaders, both in the military and in business. In many, many organizations, from 40 people to 30,000 people, who have operated through a variety of key positions. Robert is also the author of the recently released ebook, Who Saw This Coming? Now What Do We Do? And as a dynamic leader and manager and communicator, he possesses exceptional organizational, administrative, and personal relationship skills. And he is also the creator of the six leadership principles, which I know we're going to be talking a little bit about today. Hello, Robert. Hi, Ed. Thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to to talk with you and your audience today. Fantastic. Well, I know based on your unique background that you will have some principles and thoughts and ideas that will be significantly meaningful to the folks that are listening today. I introduced you briefly, and I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your past and how you currently interact in the marketplace. Certainly. You know, I was privileged uh, as a as a young man to uh, have the opportunity to go to West Point. Uh, I somehow made it through that crucible and uh, then spent what I thought was going to be five years, turned into 33 years of active military service, uh, including the opportunity to be a general officer to command the division with just a privileged, a set of privileges in my life and to interact with some of the bravest men and women in a number of contexts uh, there in uniform in, in all this in all the services. I then uh, retired from the military and went into the corporate world uh, because I wanted to learn how you know, what military skills would transfer into the corporate uh, workplace. I became president of a manufacturing company, executive vice president of another one inside a, a 501c3. And then uh, my dream was to have my own company and help other leaders build cultures of excellence. And so we started uh, Level 5 Associates uh, in 2014. And since then, I've had the opportunity to work with a number of individuals and organizations in applying the big six principles to their journey of uh, being brave and leading people the way they deserve to be led. Well, fantastic. And I know you're being slightly, um, 
uh, not explanatory about the level you reached in the military. So as we were talking before we started to record, Robert retired uh, at the second level, I guess, of general, which is major general. There are four levels, and he retired as a major general. So thank you, Robert, for your many years of service and contributions for our country. Well, I appreciate that, Ed. It, like I said, it was a five, I thought it was a five-year journey turned into a 33-year journey, but it was because I was, uh, I think, I was working with leaders and for leaders who were tolerant of many of my mistakes because I certainly made more than my share. And, uh, you know, I just feel like it was such a wonderful experience in my life that uh, that uh, I was privileged to have. Well, that's fantastic. It's not the same, but I worked in retailing for a number of years and many people who had been at stores or organizations for 25 or 30 years almost always would say, you know, Ed, I just started at the Christmas holiday. I thought I would be here for a couple of months and now here it is 25 or 30 years later and I'm still here. So it's great how those things can start. You know, Robert, I'm interested when you transitioned from the military to a corporate environment, was that easy? Was it difficult? I mean, are those two different types of structures that require uh, a, a bit of transition to leave and move from the military to a kind of corporate environment? I think they do. The, the transition is uh, not easy or simple. Uh, and I think sometimes uh, people, you know, who have not had the opportunity to, to, to serve and, you know, let's face it, 95 percent of the adult population of America has, does not have military service. And so as much as they love and support our men and women of the armed forces, they're not familiar with some of the cultural framework that we operate within. And, you know, basically the big six principles that I've developed um, were a product of learning through the transition of military to corporate environment. And uh, that's why they've helped guide me along. And I think that, uh, you know, they're not rocket science, but but they work, you know, they're principles that work. Yeah, I've, I've had some experience in helping former military professionals transition into corporate roles in my 10 years at Iron Mountain, which is an operations-based business. And quite frankly, was very male dominated. Uh, you know, not often, but every once in a while, one of the leaders that we brought in to be a branch manager or a leader in operations was former military. And for some of them, it was a very difficult transition because, you know, we used to joke behind the scenes that in their military career, if they saw something they didn't like, they'd walk up to the person and say, drop and give me 20. And in corporate America, when you walk up to somebody and say, say something you didn't like, they'd say, I don't care or no, I'm not going to do that. Right. So it was like these two opposite reactions from people. And sometimes they handled it well and sometimes they didn't. But certainly it was a, a difficult tra or challenging transition. So you mentioned your six leadership principles, which I wanted to share with our listeners today, because I think some of them can very much apply to being brave at work. And I don't think we'll get through all six, but you know, a couple that I think might be interesting to talk about. The first one, set the azimuth. Uh, azimuth is not a word that most people use on a daily basis. So if you could tell us a little bit what that word means and uh, you know what role that plays in helping a person be an effective leader in an organization. Well, the first of the big six is set the azimuth uh, for a reason. And that's because I believe individuals as leaders and organizations uh, in, the, in the corporate world, you know, I took it from the military, the terminology. Uh, and basically, you know, it has four components, the mission, your mission, your intent, which I think is has more clarity than vision, where you distill the mission into uh, an end state, the key task to, to achieve that end state, and the purpose, the why. So mission, intent, 
And then what are your values? What do you believe in as a person and organization? And then what's your culture? You know, what are the behaviors that you're going to demonstrate, which indicate that your beliefs are coming to life? So set the azimuth is a personal uh, challenge, I think, and it's a team or organizational challenge that is important to do it uh, formally, to put it out there, talk about it, agree to it. Uh, it almost becomes a covenant, you know, from, from a leader, an individual leader, it becomes a personal mission statement and a personal leadership philosophy. From an organizational level, it becomes just what I talked about, that mission, your intent, your values, and your culture, where you tell everyone in the organization who we are and what we rep represent and how we're going to act uh, going forward. And uh, that clarity is fundamental to, I think, the concept of being brave at work. You've got to establish your cardinal direction, and then you've got to live it. You've got to measure it, live it, and stand with it if you want people to feel like they belong to, to a, a culture of excellence. Well, as a person who looks at the world through the desire to help people be braver at work, one of the reasons I love that leadership principle is because bravery is really a two-sided relationship. There's my need to be braver at work and say something to you that might be difficult to say or do something at work that might be difficult to do. But there's also the need for you to be receptive to it. Right. And so I think that's part of the culture and environment that you might be describing. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as it pertains to bravery at work. But, you know, my need as the leader to create an environment where it's OK if you want to come in and say something to me that you think I need to hear in order to be a more effective leader, right? Leaders who have low self-awareness may not be receptive to somebody walking in and saying, hey, Robert, I wanna to talk to you about the meeting this morning. I think there's a couple of things that you could have done differently to be more effective and others may embrace it. So is that part of what you're talking about when you're setting up this cultural set of expectations and this covenant for how you want to be as a leader? Yeah, I think it is, Ed. Uh, you know, that setting the azimuth takes courage. It, it takes bravery because once you establish it as a as a personal person and a leader, people are going to hold you accountable to it, and you've got to be willing to walk the talk. The second principle is listen. You know, my mom said, and I didn't pay attention. You know, God bless you, mom. <laughs> you weren't uh, a good listener. Ninety years old. I'm sure she's probably listening in today. But you know, she said God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, and I didn't I didn't learn from that uh, training for a, a long time. You know, ninety percent of leaders. Uh, in my experience, are not very effective listeners. Now, Stephen Covey asked the question, are you listening with the intent to understand or are you listening with the intent to reply? I would say 90% of the lead percentile I just talked about are the latter category. We're listening with the intent to reply. What are indicators of that? Well, one of them is interruption. When you interrupt somebody, you're clearly listening with the intent to reply and not the intent to understand. Uh, in the workshops that I conduct with individuals and leaders, half-day workshops on each of the big six principles, we go through tools for your toolbox to become a more effective listener. Now, one of my favorites is the two-second rule. You know, before you respond to someone who's speaking with you, wait two seconds. I don't recommend you count out loud. I did have one person who thought that was a good tool, but I don't really, you know, I would say do that silently. But, you know, that two-second rule has tremendous second and third order effects. In demonstrating, again, if we're going to be brave at work, we may have to hear some things we don't want to hear, but we should hear them out uh, unless they are insultive and abusive and toxic. If, if they're thoughtful, meaningful uh, comments 
then the two-second rule can help us a lot. First of all, it, it mitigates your interrupting process, which is a lack of uh, indicator of a lack of respect, if you ask me. You have the value of respect and you interrupt people. I don't think you're walking the talk. I think you're just talking the talk. So in listening, the two-second rule uh, has a lot of benefits. You might understand more what you're being told. You might be more respectful, I think, by not interrupting. And third, the, the person might have something more to say, that you give them a chance to say it. So that's how you build a culture where people feel as though they're valued. Uh, you demonstrate the bravery of, of being able to, you know, listen to bad news sometimes. You know, you got to be a good bad news taker if you're going to be an effective leader. Uh, if there's a pile of dead messengers outside the door because, you, you know, you've shot all of them when they brought you bad news, pretty soon nobody's going to tell you any more bad news until the, you know, the fire department arrives and start, you know, hosing down the building. Well, I love that uh, phrase that you shared from Stephen Covey, which is, are you listening to understand or are you listening to reply? I would completely agree with you that the vast majority of people that I have met and even myself, that as soon as somebody starts to talk about something, our brains just instantly go into how am I going to respond? What am I going to say? And you can even physically see people starting to you know, jump in or want to start talking even before you're done, right? And sometimes people even say, hey, can you wait till I finish? Or, hey, it looks like you want to say something, right? Because we can't even physically control ourselves. And I'm a huge fan of what I call the power of the pause. So I also agree with you that it's so important when we're in conversations with people, and especially if they're sharing something with us, which we know is hard for them to share, that we pause a little bit to kind of reframe our thinking, be curious. I also love Stephen Covey's fifth habit of highly effective people, which is seek first to understand, then to be understood. It might be the same chapter you're talking about, yeah, which is. is, you know, it's so important to understand where somebody's coming from and why they're saying it versus just jumping in and responding and defending and arguing. And, you know, there's this desire to be the one who's right. And we just keep going and challenging each other to say who's going to win this conversation. So, you know, I love your first leadership principle set to azimuth because I think that is about context and you have to create a bravery context where it is okay as long as you're respectful to come in and say anything that you need to say to me that you think will be helpful to the organization. And then secondly, the value of listening, right? That you have to pause and listen. I think quite frankly, it might even take a little bit more than two seconds, but you know, you want to pause for a minute and even sometimes say, hey, let me think about that for a second. That's a really interesting perspective. And then think about it. It might take 10 seconds, right? But it's so important because it adds value to the uh, conversation that you're having. Absolutely. We just we just don't train leaders in how to listen. And I think once we do that, you know, I mean, in leadership development programs, I see very little evidence of training leaders on how to listen effectively. Uh, we simply expect they'll figure it out. And in many cases, you know, I'd say the vast majority of leadership skills are not innate. They're learned. We have to we have to teach leaders how to listen, how to set their azimuth personally and as a team, how to listen. Uh, the third component or third element of the big six is trust and empower. You know, empowerment is the embodiment of trust. But trust has to be nurtured and built. Uh, listening is an example of respect. It helps generate trust. But I think the other other tools in your toolbox, and that's really where I operate with individuals and organizations, I believe in practical tools. I'm not very esoteric. So if we're going to talk about the right brain and left brain, I think they, 
you'd probably find have another conversation. I, I've I've learned through screwing up the big six, uh, you know what what works and doesn't work. And when it comes to trust and empower, one of the aspects of trust is the willingness to empower, the willingness to delegate. You know, you can delegate authority, but not responsibility. So we're not talking about just handing off the company's uh, uh, vital aspects to people and telling them to to, to do good. Uh, I think what we what the bravery element is here of trust and power is we delegate and, and enable the leaders to be able to handle it. You know, like the Jack Nicholson statement about you can't handle the truth and a few good men. We want our people, our men and women, to be able to handle the responsibility, the challenges we give them, the authority we give them, and we still remain responsible for the overall welfare of the organization. Uh, one of the tools that I believe is most effective here is by taking I and me out of your email and text traffic. And I don't believe that's they, either one are effective communication tools. I think they're information sharing tools. Communication has a different realm. But, you know, you take I and me out of out of that correspondence and you, you use we and us. That's a very small step, but it has a big effect on people because it indicates that this is a shared environment that we're in. We're going to trust each other and empower each other and share knowledge. You know, I had a banner in my division command post which said, a big banner, about six feet long, we carried all over the place. It said, who else needs to know? Because I had to challenge myself and all of us to answer that question every day. It's not reply all. That's not how you, uh, you share information. Empowerment is created by deliberate uh, manifestations of trust. And in your organization, you can do that in a deliberate way. One of my favorite tools is the after action review. I learned that in the military and I've seen it work wonderfully in companies and organizations I've been part of. Manufacturing, services, you know, cross culture, cross domain here. The after action review is where you basically look at a project or activity as a group and you say, okay, what did we learn here? I use the term power questions because I really think that that's a part of our, our arsenal here in trust and empowerment, where you ask power questions that are going to provide meaningful uh, input, meaningful response. You know, what's going on? What's up? That kind of, those are not power questions. You're not going to get meaningful information that way. And in an environment of trust and empowerment, you the power questions and the after action review generate information where people feel as though their input makes a difference. The after action review is, is also a process where you say, okay, we had, we, conducted this mission or project, what did we learn here? What did we plan to do? What actually happened? What went well? What didn't go well? And what are we going to do going forward? And who's going to be responsible to do it? You know, there's got to be some accountability here. Trust and empowerment does not happen without accountability. And the most powerful form of accountability is mutual accountability, where we hold each other accountable for doing what we need to do in an organization. And that's where trust resides. And the after action review is a vehicle for capturing um, that accountability and responsibility. And people feel empowered when they're part of that review. And they can say, what did we learn and what are we going to do about it? Well, I love how some of the best ideas we hear, Robert, are some of the simplest. And so this idea of modifying your language and not saying I or me and saying we or us, as you said, is minor in respect to the great scheme of things, and yet the impact and influence that can have is significant, right? So here's my idea. I think you and I should both retire. We should open up, we should open up a college. Uh, the college will be open to people ages 28 to 35, and at that college, we're gonna teach them things like listening, curiosity, delegation, 
accountability, empowerment, all these basics that today, later, they have to learn because nobody ever taught them how to do these basic fundamental things. We can talk about that later. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I really believe that there's a great, great talent level in our business environments out there that we can tap into if we can generate the kind of um, bravery that you know has been a drumbeat in, in your work, but I think in mine too. And it's a two-way street. You know, empathy is a form of bravery. If you, you know, if you ask me, and so we need to train ourselves and organizations into applying tools like the Big Six Principles every day in a meaningful way, and then being able to measure our progress. Um, you know, it, on my website, level5associates.com, you'll see a, a number of products about uh, that I've written about the Big Six. Um, you know, links to the books I have written. I've been privileged to write uh, three of them now. And uh, where I talk about, uh, in, in my blogs every other week, I talk about one of these principles usually and how to apply it. Uh, I just think there's a wonderful opportunity for all of us as leaders to grow leaders who can be better than we are. Fantastic. Well, listen, Robert, it has been great chatting with you today. So thank you so much for your content. Thank you so much for your ideas. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn a little bit more about you? Yeah, the website is www.level5associates.com, where you spell out the five. And there you can learn more about me and about the organization and how to get in touch with me. Or send, send me an email. My address is robert at level5associates.com. And if I don't respond to you, you send me an email, there's a high probability that I'm dead. <laughs> well, let's hope nobody has that. Uh, no one has that experience. Okay. But. I just wanted to make the commitment here. I, I, I will be accountable. Fantastic. We appreciate that. Robert, thanks again for your conversation today. It was great speaking with you. I enjoyed it, Ed, and I wish you and, and all your listeners well in their journey. Fantastic. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore Being Brave at Work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and our download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.